Well, good evening. My name is uh, Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church. And as Kurt mentioned, we are finishing tonight a look that we've been taking at who this Jesus is. Who is this man that stands alone at the center of human history, unlike any other figure in human history? Uh, we've been kind of looking, if you miss a couple of these weeks, I'd encourage you to go online and kind of catch up with what we've been talking about here because we've looked at how the impact of Jesus stands above and alone over every other character in human history how far the reach is of his life. We looked at the teachings of Jesus and how they've led to many of the great social justice movements in our world. I mean, the great acts of compassion that we've come to call standard started with the teaching of Jesus. Last week, we looked at how Jesus surrounded himself with those who society had pushed far off and away and how Jesus is inviting us into relationship with people whom otherwise people might look past. And this week, we're going to look at the last words of Jesus. What is it at the end that he had to say to us? And specifically, how these words have sparked a revolution that is unmatched in human history. How these few words that we're going to look at tonight have given people a purpose for their life, a direction for their life. And in fact, you are here tonight because ordinary, everyday people like you and me have taken these words seriously. So much so, in fact, that we are here some 2,000 years and some 6,000 miles away from where these words were spoken. Who is this man whose words have that much power and, as we hope tonight, purpose for your life? How is it that his words have echoed, not only throughout human history, but our hope is echoed through your life into your world around you? Because words, as we all know, have great power and impact in our lives. There are words that echo all throughout the course of our life. In fact, there are words that maybe you heard as a child when you were younger that have directly shaped and affected and even in some ways directed the course of your life, without you maybe even realizing it or liking it, words have had that kind of power. Have you ever stopped to wonder whose words echo throughout your life? Whose words that were spoken to you still affect and even possibly direct your life to this very day, maybe many, many years after they were spoken, many years after this person has been around or a part of your life? For many of us, the words of our parents have had great effect on our lives, haven't they? Positively and some not so positively. Things that your parents said to you when you were a little child that you just believed to be true about you because they were your only lens to the world. Maybe for you, it was a teacher who said something to you early on. They encouraged you and told you you were good at something, or they let you know through grades that you weren't good at other things. Maybe it was a coach that you had that called out a, a skill or a talent in you at an early age, and you believed them, and so you kept pursuing that. In fact, it affected the college that you chose and the career path that you went down, all because someone in third grade said you were good at something. Words have power to echo throughout our lives. And I remember when I first kind of heard words that would become hugely shaping for my life. It was when I was actually in the third grade. And I went to a very small private school, a little Christian school. And I've talked about this before. My mom was actually the principal of that school. So that was three years in counseling just right there alone <laughs> that we had to work through. And so uh, we had time, it was uh, the, kind of the second year as a school, it was a new school, and we were going to have our big Christmas you know, play, big Christmas musical. And I wanted to go out for the lead part. And the name of the musical I still remember to this day is called A Certain Small Shepherd. And I was going up for the part of Josiah. 
And all I knew about him from everything I could tell from what I had was that he was a small shepherd. And so I gave everything into my audition and I went all out and I learned kind of the lines I had to learn. I was willing to sing and there were songs so I had to you know, make sure that I could sing songs. There was no dance in it, but I was ready to dance if I had to dance. And sure enough, I got the part of Josiah, a certain small shepherd. I know, I worked hard and I got it. And so here's the deal. I get the part and so I'm so proud of myself. And I had early on a teacher say to me, Jerry, you're really, really good at this. You're really good at being on stage. I said, well, thank you very much. And then came the night of the opening night of our big musical. And by opening night, I mean the only night that we did it. And, and so, so we, we had a very short run. And so, you know, I was there and I, I did my little part and I sang my little songs. and I had my little solo and I heard this sound that came back towards me that I'd never quite heard before like this. And it became a sound that would come to effect and direct my life. It was a sound of applause. And ultimately, it was a sound of approval. And I thought, oh, a guy could get used to this. And so at a very early age, someone spoke into me, you're good at this. And it affected in large part how God has used me and brought me to this point in my life and why I'm standing here tonight teaching you. Words have a powerful effect on our lives. Knowing this, our prayer has been for each of our kids when the night we brought each of them home from the hospital, knowing that words have a power to echo throughout our lives, we began praying very specific prayers for each of our kids. For our son Elijah, every night when we pray for him, among other things we pray for, we pray these exact words. Thank you, God, that you've created our son both sensitive and strong. Thank you that you've given him a heart that's tender and courage to follow through, God. So every night since he's been a little baby, before he even knew what the words meant, we've prayed those words over him. God, thank you that you've made him sensitive and strong. And you know what's amazing? At seven years old, we already see both of those traits in him. It's amazing how words have power to echo through our lives. Our daughter, Gigi, we've prayed for her since the night we brought her home from the hospital. Don't exactly know why, but we feel these are the words that God gave us. So we began to pray, God, would you make her a godly friend among her friends, that she would be a light into her world? And God, would you surround her with godly friends that point her back to you? And if you know our daughter, Gigi, and how outrageously she lives, it's going to take a village of godly friends. <laughs> literally surrounding her everywhere she goes. But we believe and we know that words have power to echo throughout our lives. And many times they positively affect and direct and shape our lives. But every one of us could probably say a couple words that were spoken to us that have negatively shaped our lives. Words that were hurtful or harmful, even hateful, that you heard at a young age. You're not smart enough to ever do that. You'll never be good enough to go and accomplish that. You're not thin enough. You're not pretty enough. You hear those words at a young enough age or you hear those words enough times and it will affect and even direct your life. Case in point, not too long ago I was having coffee with a friend of mine. I've known him for a while now and we got to a part in our conversation where we got to a part of his story that I hadn't heard before about when he was a younger kid and he began to tell me at a very young age how he heard from both of his parents and from some extended family that he was stupid. That, in fact, was the word. You're stupid. This, the reason none of this is working out for you is because it's your fault. He heard those words enough time that he looked me with tears in his eyes and said, to this day, some 30 years later, I am living to prove those words wrong. Isn't that amazing? The power that words can have as they echo throughout our lives. And in an odd sort of way, something we have to pay attention to 
is that those words that have kind of been spoken into our lives, when you allow them to come in and affect and direct your life like that, in an odd sort of way, you become a follower of whoever that person was and whatever it was that they said. When you give them the power to do that in your lives, you, in essence, sort of become a follower of that person well after they've spoken these words, well after they may even be a part of your life. That's how powerful words are, is they echo throughout our lives. And every great leader in human history has longed, actually, and tried to channel and tap into that power to be able to have their words, their ideology, outlive their life so that it would affect you long after they're dead and gone. Many great leaders have strived for that kind of influence and impact, to have their words outlive them. And I thought what was interesting is we're going to dive in in a minute here to this passage to look at the last words of Jesus, that it might actually serve us well to look at some of the very last words of some very influential people and leaders throughout human history and what they had to say in the end. And did it actually outlive them? Did it outlast them? So I'm going to put a couple up on the screen. Very interesting. Napoleon Bonaparte, famous and infamous leader, conqueror. This is the very last word he had to say. Josephine. At the end of it all, after all he'd conquered and accomplished, the only thing he could say at the end was the name of his one love, Josephine. Queen Elizabeth I, after ruling over England and after establishing herself as a world leader, this is what she had to say. Her very last words on her deathbed, all my possessions for a moment of time. I'll give everything I have. I'll give everything I own if I could just have that much more time. Also one of the most influential leaders of the last century coming from England as well that inspired nations and literally helped bring a war, a world war to an end. Winston Churchill had these words to say right before he slipped into a coma and died. (laughs) I'm bored with it all. That's a real happy note to go out on. This is Winston Churchill whose speeches inspired millions, says I'm bored with it all. And in so doing gave birth to the grunge movement and to cynical and... Skeptical hipsters all over the world. It goes back to Winston Churchill. Great author, Oscar Wilde, had this. These are his very last words on his deathbed. Either that wallpaper goes or I do. And I thought, that's, you got to go out swinging like that. You got to, if you're going to go out, you go out swinging like that. In fact, one of my first jokes that I ever came up with when I realized that I was kind of good at this stuff, I was like eight years old and I came up with this joke. I thought it was so clever. I wanted to have written on my tombstone, I told you I was sick. I just thought that was so clever because inspired by that kind of wit. It's a lot funnier when you're eight. That's all I can say. Pancho Villa, the great Mexican revolutionary leader that led many, many people, had this to say at the end, knowing how powerful words are. Don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. Tell them I said something. And interesting, knowing how words can echo throughout our lives. You think about all the leaders that have come before and after Jesus. And how long and how many of their words have continued to outlive them? Not much, not many, none, in fact, like this Jesus. His last words are entirely different. His last words are full of purpose and passion and meaning and direction. And they are for you and they are for me and they're for every single person who is serious about being a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you're here right now or if you're watching or listening online and, and you'd say, you know, I don't know that I'd call myself a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested. I'm investigating God and Jesus and the Bible and how it all fits together. I think this is very important stuff for you to hear because essentially what we're going to do is give you a tour of the factory. 
We're going to kind of pull back the curtain and say, this is really what the mission of Christians on this earth, this is a big part of what it's supposed to be about. And many times the reason that the world has their opinions about the church is because the church misses the point of what Jesus so clearly said in these words. Swings the pendulum way too hard, way too far. So we're going to go to the source. And for those of us who'd call ourselves Christians, this is a part of, a part of the mission that every single one of us carries on this earth. Very important stuff for us to know and to live out as well. So we're going to look at the last words of Jesus as found in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have a Bible, why don't you pull it out so we can all be playing off the same playbook. If you don't have a Bible, we've got you covered. We've got a blue Bible right there in front of you in your seat back. I would ask that everyone grab one if you could. Just humor me. Pull out a Bible. If you could open to Matthew chapter 28, page 698, page 698 in the blue Bible at least. We say this every week, if you don't own a Bible and you're serious about investigating this man, Jesus, then the Bible you're now holding is yours. You get to steal a Bible from church, take that home with you. We think it's that important that you understand and and determine for yourself who this Jesus really is based on what we have recorded in Scripture and based on the testimony of those around you. Matthew 28, page 698 in the Blue Bible. Let me give you some quick context. This is about 40 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, 40 days after Easter. So Jesus had come and accomplished what God had sent him to do with the cross, was raised by the power of God from the dead, and then spent about 40 days with his disciples, with his followers, instructing them, teaching them, helping them understand what life was going to be like once he was gone. He called it the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom of God, and the way and the rule of God. And so he would kind of show them and demonstrate and teach them, like, this is what it's really about. It's what he taught about all along. But you can see he knows that his time is coming where he's literally going to ascend up into heaven and entrust the work of God into these followers that he had once called not too long ago to follow him. And the reason I want us to start in Matthew 28, verse 17, is because what I want you to get is that even in the end with Jesus... Even after around three years, could be as short as one year, but maybe three years of ministry with Jesus, side-by-side life with Jesus, some of his followers still didn't get it. Matthew 28, 17 says this. When they saw him, this is Jesus, they worshipped him. But what's the next phrase? But some what? Now, isn't that interesting? I want you to grab a pen. I want you to circle that because I think this is really interesting. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They had already seen his resurrected body. He'd spent 40 days with them. I mean, he had literally been with them in his resurrected form. They knew that this was Jesus, but still, after everything he'd done, some of them doubted him. Now, we're not talking about the Pharisees or the religious leaders who always doubted Jesus. We're not talking about people who had never had any encounter with Jesus before, and they're like, hmm, seems shady to me. These are people who spent intimate time with Jesus for years, and specifically for the last 40 days, and still, in the end, they doubted. And I just want to speak. The reason I want to just hit pause there for a second is because I think there's a myth when it comes to faith. And the myth is simply this, that faith is the absence of doubt. That faith is the absence of doubt. And it couldn't be any further from the truth. Your goal as a follower of Jesus is not to eliminate doubt, but to follow Jesus more and more and more closely, even with your doubts, even with the things you don't have figured out yet, even with the parts that aren't perfect. Somehow in the presence of Jesus, he speaks to every one of our fears and doubts 
and questions and anxieties. The goal is not to eliminate doubt and pretend like we've got it all figured out, but it's to be in the presence of Jesus and to follow him. Because even at the end, Jesus is about to hand over the keys to the kingdom of God to people who still totally weren't sure. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means all the rights, all the power, all of it has been entrusted, given to me. Now look what Jesus does with all the authority of God, all the authority over the earth. Look what he does with it. Verse 19, therefore, he says, now he's going to give it to them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Look at this baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This morning at the 9 and 11 o'clock service, that's what we got to do. Many of you in this room have been baptized. If you haven't yet, guess what? We still got the tank, right, Kurt? We can wheel it in afterwards. I mean, why not? Because this is such a clear step after becoming a follower of Jesus is to be baptized. And it says it right here. That's why we do it every month. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, he says, surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. Even though I am going, I am sending one who is greater than I, the Holy Spirit, who will now be God in you. I have been with you. Now I will be in you through the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life, wherever you may go. I want to just kind of break down this mission of Jesus as we see in Matthew 28. What is it he was saying to his followers there and to those of us who are serious about following Jesus today? Let's start with sort of that first sentence in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus' vision is that we would go and make disciples of what? All nations. That was pathetic. Let me say it again. Therefore, we would go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this is very important. You might want to circle that. All nations. All people. All nations. All people. No one is excluded from the mission and from the love of God. See, up until this point, the story of the people of God had been wrapped up in a form of nationalism. They assumed that to be a people of God, that they had to have a place. And this is understandable, because if you read through the Old Testament, God makes a promise to Abraham that he will have a people, and that those people will have a place. And the story of the Old Testament is them wrestling with and coming to terms with what it means to be the people of God with or without a place. And will they trust God, even when it seems like they have no earthly identity? Will they find their identity in him? This is the wrestling that they've had. And Jesus says, listen, no longer is your people bound to a place. This is for all people, all nations, all over the world. No exclusions. All people. In fact, I'm going to have you jump over. We're going to do a little cross-study here of another account of the exact same moment. And it's found in the book of Acts. It's found in Acts 1.8. In the Blue Bibles, it's page 758. I want everyone to just jump over to Acts one Verse 8, it's page 758 in the Blue Bibles. This is Luke's account of the exact same event. Matthew ends his account of the life of Jesus with this. Luke begins the account of the church with the last words of Jesus. And he breaks down the sort of how-to to the all-nations plan. He says, this is how you do it. The whole, you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what was about to happen at Pentecost when the church was born. We've studied that here as a church. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is the how-to of the all-nations, all-people plan. Jesus says, look, I can say to you all nations, and you can nod your head, but you don't know where to start. I'm going to tell you where to start. 
You start in Jerusalem. In other words, you start where you're at. You go and make all disciples. Make disciples of all people, all nations. And here's how you do it. Start where you're at. You start with your Jerusalem. That's the city that they were familiar with, the city that was at the center sort of of the story of God. That's the city where Jesus said to wait for the Holy Spirit to come so the birth of the church could begin. The church, the very church that started in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus says, you start where you're at. And I don't know what your Jerusalem is. Your Jerusalem may be your family. That there are people who need to hear about God's love. You start where you're at. You don't have to get on a plane and go halfway around the world to tell people about God or to experience a great movement of God. Those things are fantastic and have their place, but you can actually start where you're at today. Now. I don't know what your Jerusalem is. It may be your work. You look at your work, you go, oh man, there's a lot of work to be done at work when it comes to people following God. You start where you're at. You start where you're at. You start in Jerusalem. And then he says, into Judea. And then he says something very interesting here. He says, Jerusalem, okay, we get that. That's the center. Judea, okay, that's kind of the surrounding area. And then he says very, a very specific place, Samaria. And why would he say Samaria? Well, Samaritans were actually hated by Jews. There was great racial tension and divide between Jews and Samaritans. Most of it, if not almost all of it, caused by the Jews towards the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds, people who were unworthy of God's love. They were not full people of God. In fact, Jesus called attention to this earlier on in his ministry and his teaching when he told the story of the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Jesus calling attention to the least likely suspect actually walking in the will and the way of God. And so Jesus says, you're going to start where you're at. You're going to kind of move out from there, and you're going to go to places that are uncomfortable for you. You're going to follow me through places that are unfamiliar to you. You're even going to follow me to places that you probably don't want to go on your own. And you wouldn't go unless you were willing to follow me. Start where you're at, and then let me move you through places that may be unfamiliar and uncomfortable. But I will be with you always. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. (laughs) And then Jesus says this, and to the ends of the earth, which is basically D, all of the above. (laughs) So start where you're at, move out from there through Samaria, and just... Just everywhere else. Just go everywhere else. And what's so interesting is that this how-to to to the all-peoples, all-nations plan is actually people that took this teaching of Jesus seriously, that let his words echo throughout their lives. Had they not done so, you and I would not be here tonight. Someone somewhere said, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, starting where I'm at, through my own Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Someone somewhere came along and said, I'm going to do that even to this nation. I'm going to do that even to this state. I'm going to do that even in this city. I'm going to do that even in this neighborhood. Someone before you said, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. So let's jump back to Matthew 28. I want to kind of close out by looking at the rest of what Jesus says. Matthew 28. You can jump back to page 698 in the Blue Bibles. Matthew 28. Verse 19, Jesus says, therefore, and go make disciples of all nations. Let me just hit pause right there. Therefore, go and make what, did he say? Disciples. Disciples. Now, this is really interesting because Jesus chose a word here and he chose not to say another word. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, that word may seem a little foreign to us in our culture, but in his culture, everyone knew what that word meant. Any good rabbi would have their little disciples that would follow them around. Jesus was a rabbi, the best rabbi, a great rabbi, and he had his own disciples. We've read about them. We call them the 
disciples, right? Okay, so that was a term that was common, it was familiar, it was understood in that day. A disciple is a dedicated learner. A disciple is someone who's committed to the ways of someone else. Jesus says something very interesting here. He says, go and make disciples. Now, while it may seem like a foreign term and not something you would necessarily use in your life every day, every one of us, I bet every one of us in this room has been a disciple at one point. Just by show of hands, how many of you ever had at any point in your education a tutor of some sort? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I went through three math tutors my freshman year. I, like, I burned them out. Algebra was not a concept God created me for. And so if you've had a tutor to help you in school, you have been a disciple of that person. There's someone who's a little bit smarter than you, maybe a couple years older than you, and you said, teach me, show me. I will be your you never use the word, but that is the word disciple. Show of hands. How many of you have ever had a personal trainer or someone teach you some kind of fitness class? Raise your hand. Now flex your hand while you raise it. All right, good. <laughs> Just to show off a little bit. If you've ever had a personal trainer or someone teach your Zumba class or whatever, like if you've ever had someone who's a little bit better than you, who's a little bit further along than you, and you said, teach me, show me. If you've ever had a coach before, you've been a disciple. It's a very interesting word that Jesus chooses here. Go and make disciples. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, go and convert people to Christianity. In fact, Jesus never once used the word Christian. Never once said the word Christian. That word wouldn't come till a little couple years later, after he was dead and gone, and people noticed these Christ ones, these ones who were disciples of this Christ, and they began to call them Christians later on in the story of the church. Jesus never said, go and make people Christians. Go and convert them to your belief system. That's fine, and that's good, and that has its place, but going and converting people to Christianity is basically just giving a broad stroke of religion over someone's life. That is not what Jesus is inviting us into. What Jesus is saying is go life on life, person on person, and make disciples. You're a couple steps ahead, you invite someone to come along. You're a few years longer down the road, you invite someone to come along. You've known me now for six years, you invite someone along with you to be a disciple of mine. It's too easy to just try and paint the broad stroke of religion over someone's life, and it never, ever lasts as long or as well as making disciples, life on life, person on person. I'm a couple years into this. I'm a couple steps ahead. But I want to invite you in to what I'm a part of. you got to imagine the disciples at that point. because This is not the culture that they sort of grew up in. But Jesus, you have to imagine, they said, Jesus, Jesus, when, when do we get to tell them to stop swearing? Jesus, when do we get to tell them to stop listening to that music that they're listening to that I really used to love to listen to and I still secretly listen to? Jesus, when can we tell them? Jesus, when can we tell them they have to clean up their act before they can come to you? Jesus, when can we judge them for all the things that they're doing wrong? Jesus, when do we get to make them feel guilty for not being Christians? Not once did Jesus say that. Go and make disciples. Life on life, relationship on relationship. Just as, catch this, I have made disciples of you. Just as Jesus walked up to every one of these first disciples and said, follow me, you walk up to others and say, follow me. Make disciples. And Jesus says, and he says, teach them everything I have taught you. That's all. 
<laughs> just teach them everything. And you have to imagine Jesus says, go and make disciples. Okay, yeah, disciples. And teach them everything I've taught you. And you got to, like, Peter's going, uh, yeah. No, we remember everything you've said for the last couple of years. We've been writing it all down, right? Matthew, John, I'm looking at you guys, right? Yeah, we've been writing this whole thing down. We've got it. Teach them everything I've taught you. Because here's what you do. When you invite people into following me, you're going to be a person, a conduit, who actually connects the dots between truth as found in God's word and reality as found in our lives. And when you're teaching, it's not because you're the one who has all the answers or who can come up with the smartest way to answer the toughest questions. You are the person who says, oh, no, no, I understand. I see. I hear what you're saying. You know, this is what I found God's truth to say about that. Let me help connect the dots As you follow Christ, you're following me as I follow Christ. Let me help connect the dots and teach you what Jesus is teaching me. I don't have it all figured out, but listen, I'm I'm following this Jesus, and so you can follow me. In fact, if you had to sum up these last words of Jesus, his big mission, his big plan, you can sort of wrap it all up and sum it all up with that very sort of simple concept. This mission of Jesus is really two parts. First, follow me. Jesus says to you, follow me. I'm inviting you in, not to converting to a religion, but to entering into a relationship. Follow me. Follow me, and I will lead you to the Father. Follow me, and I will lead you to godly conviction. Follow me, and I'll lead you to freedom. Follow me, I'll lead you to life, real life, not just in heaven one day, but on earth, to the fullest now. Follow me, I'll lead you to forgiveness. Follow me, I'll lead you to salvation. Follow me. It has to start with you following him. And then, and also, help others follow me as well. Jesus' mission, his plan, is found in Matthew 28. It's found in Acts chapter 1. Follow me and help others follow me too. Follow me and help others do the same. It has to be both. It has to be both. Follow me and help others follow me as well. If it's just follow me and we don't care about helping other people follow Jesus, then we prove every assumption the world has about the church that we are a holy huddle, a little click unto ourselves, only for those who get it all and who are already in, and we've turned our back on the world, and it's all about us and just us. If it's only about just us following Jesus and not helping other people follow him as we're following him, then we've essentially turned our back on the world and the world says, yep, it's an elitist. It's only for people who are spiritual enough to get in and that's certainly not me. And consequently, if it's only about getting more people on board and helping people follow Jesus, but you're not willing to follow Jesus, then you prove every one of the world's assumptions about the church that you and I are just hypocrites willing to judge people for where they're not at and unwilling to go there ourselves. Do you see how it has to be both? Follow Jesus, you follow him, and help others do so as well. Follow me, help others follow me. You know, I know that, I know that you already know that this is true. And here's how I know. You wouldn't be here tonight if someone else didn't believe this and do this for you. At some point in your life, someone helped you follow him. In fact, it may have been as recently as today. Someone may have said to you, no, seriously, follow me in your car to Soul City Church. You're going to want to go to the park. Follow me as I drive to church. And then we'll talk about Jesus. 
It may have been at some other point in your life where someone spoke truth into your life. Someone helped point you in a direction. Someone opened your eyes. I know that you already know this to be true because you wouldn't actually be here tonight if someone else didn't take these words of Jesus seriously. I've seen it personally in my own life. When I was 18, 19 years old, I had kind of come out of going to this little Christian school my whole life, and my star at that school was starting to fade. I wasn't getting as many parts as I once got. I wasn't a small shepherd anymore. And I was starting to have my first real crisis of faith. My doubts were rising to the surface, and I, I began to wonder, I don't know how to, I even know how to have a relationship with this Jesus, if I even know how to follow him. And for whatever reason, by God's grace and goodness, he brought a guy into my life named Greg Steele. There's nothing spectacular about Greg, and he wouldn't mind me telling you that. Just a normal guy. In fact, he was a teacher, and I'd known him because he was a part of the church that I'd grown up at, and I wanted to be a school teacher, and so I asked Greg, hey, can I meet with you, and can you tell me what it's really like? And so every other Wednesday, I'd drive out after classes, and I'd meet him after school, and We'd meet at his school, and we'd kind of sit outside and either play around on a little picnic bench, and we'd just talk about life. And you know what inevitably happened is he would kind of open up his life to me and invite me in. Again, nothing super spectacular about this guy. He wasn't like an ordained minister. He's a school teacher who was trying to follow Jesus with his whole life. And as we grew in our relationship, he'd invite me over, and I'd have dinner at his house, and I got to watch how he followed Jesus in his marriage to his wife, Terry. And I was in relationship and friends with Greg when they had their first child. And I got to watch how this guy that I know was going to follow Jesus as a father. I got to watch, actually, and he had a pretty major sort of career opportunity to move schools and kind of jump out of the system he was in and, and actually step up to be more of a principal over another school. And he invited me in to pray with him and to seek God with him about that decision. I'm like, dude, I'm 19. Like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, let alone for my life. Like, why would you include me? Because I think Greg got this concept. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus. I may not have all the answers. I may not have it all figured out, but you can follow me as I follow him, as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a guy, whatever it is, you follow me as I follow Christ. And so profound was that simple choice of Greg in my life that a few years later, I'd meet a young guy named Trent, 14, I say, Trent, I see something in you. I see that God's marked your life. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. You know, what I, you know how I knew what to do? From watching Greg. We're going to pray together, Trent. We're going to read God's word together, Trent. We're going to talk about life and all its complexities and all the uniqueness of what it means to be a freshman in high school and all the uniqueness that it means for me to be a husband. Trent, I want you to, I'm going to invite you into my life. God's continued to allow me to have the privilege to be able to do that in many other guys' lives, to step into guys like Joe and to step into Justin's life and to say, look, you can follow me. You can follow me as I follow Christ. Someone did it for me, and Jesus has actually invited me to do it again and again and again and again, life after life, relationship after relationship, go and make disciples, starting where I'm at. The Apostle Paul got this concept so well. He summed it all up even better than I ever could in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. And he said this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He, he, he said to those that he was leading, look, 
I may not have all the answers for you. I may not have it all figured out, but you can follow me as I follow Christ. If you don't know sort of where to go or what to do, follow me as I follow Christ. This is the mission, the final words that Jesus gave us. Go and make disciples. Follow me and help others follow me as well. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to spend a few moments just reflecting on two questions. And specifically, I think it's going to lead us to some homework that we want to do together throughout the course of this week. But as you think about this, these last words of Jesus, this Paul so beautifully and eloquently said, follow me as I follow Christ. There's two questions I think we have to answer if we're serious about following Jesus. The first question is literally just that. First question is this. It may seem like an obvious no-brainer to you, but I really want you to think about this for a second. First question is, who are you following? Now, I know you're in church and you think that's like, um... God. I know that seems really obvious, right? God. No, push in a little bit. My hunch is there's words and voices that still echo throughout your life that whether you like it or not or even realize it or not, you're still following to this day. You're still reacting to and responding to and affected by and directed by. Are those the voices that are going to ultimately lead you to the Father? Are those the words and voices that are going to lead you to life? Are those the words and voices that are going to lead you to freedom, to purpose. Who are you actually following? And are you willing to follow this Jesus, this Jesus, whose very last words have continued to shape and change the world long after he's left this world? Who are you following? And the next question for you to really consider, and this will lead into our homework, who is following you? You know, the interesting thing is, it's just that there's been people in your life that have stepped in and you've learned from, you've been a disciple of, whether you realize it or not. There's people in your life right now that are actually looking to you. You may not even realize it. There's people at your work, they may not even know you're a Christian. For whatever reason, you've kept that to yourself. But they notice there's something different about you. They're watching you. They're watching how you make your decisions. They're watching how you answer. They're watching how you treat others that you work with. Who in your world is following you right now? Those of you who are parents, you know this all too well, don't you? Your kids are following you. I know you wish they would obey you better, but they're watching you and they're taking their cues from you and they're learning a lot about this God from watching your life. Who's following you? Do you know that there are friends that you have in your circle that are literally looking to you looking for a glimpse of God in your life. And they'd be willing to follow you. They'd be willing to actually follow you as you follow Christ if you would just invite them in. Who are you following? And in who is following you? The homework for this week that we're all going to do together as a church is this. We're going to think about our lives and think about the Jerusalem, the Judea, the Samaria, the, to the ends of the earth that God has us in. And we're going to ask this question, Jesus, who, who is it in my world that I can say these words, follow me as I follow Jesus? Follow me as I follow Jesus. Before we came out here tonight, the whole band and production, we were praying in the back room, praying for you, praying for tonight. And we went around the circle and we all said a name. Jesus, I believe that this is a person in my life that you're inviting me to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. 
They may already be someone who's a Christian or call themselves a Christian or follower of Jesus. Maybe you're a little bit further along and there's someone in your life that you can say, you know what, let me help you. I don't have it all figured out, but let me help you. You can follow me as I follow Jesus. Or they may not call themselves a follower of Jesus at all. In fact, as a couple of my friends have pointed out to me, I'm the only Christian that they have in their lives. And I count that a privilege. And so I want to say, Jesus, how can I say to them, you can, fo- you can follow me? I, 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 don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I can't say it all eloquently and perfectly to answer every single, but you can follow me. Watch my life. It's not perfect, but you can follow me as I follow Jesus. So the challenge, the question, the homework for us this week is who are you going to say those words to? Follow me. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I want to spend a moment just reflecting on that and responding to God. And You know, I, I can't help but thank God for the many people in my life who either consciously said that or made their lives available to that. In fact, specifically, I think of our mentors, Dick and Sybil Towner, and I think of Warren and Nancy Beach. These are people who are older in life than us, further ahead, but who opened up their doors and opened up their lives and said, follow us as we follow Jesus. Specifically, those couples early on in our marriage said, you're welcome to kind of look into how we do our finances. And they taught us and modeled for us what it meant to live a more generous life, a life that's more free, a life that honestly says, God, it's all from you, and so it's my joy to give it back to you. And so from a very early age in our marriage, we were modeled. We got to follow someone as they followed Jesus and how they gave back to him. And we're going to have a moment right now when I'm done praying here where we're going to respond and give back to God. And maybe for you, it's time for you to either follow the example of someone else ahead of you or set an example for someone else behind you and say, I want to be someone who lives fully free with God recognize everything in my life as a gift from him and joyfully give it back to him. So let me pray for us. We're going to spend a few moments giving back to God and then singing out to God. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you, you never once talked about converting people to Christianity, but you invited us into relationship with you. And you invited us into inviting others into relationship with you. And I know that there's everything in us that wants to say, yeah, but I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. And yet, Jesus, somehow we see in you the grace that says, yeah, I know. Even my followers at the end still doubted me. But we believe, Jesus, as we set our eyes on you and put you at the center of our life and we dedicate ourselves as best we can to following you that we will actually give something for someone else to follow. God, I pray specifically for the people at our work. For whatever reason, we have not shared with them the hope that we have, the joy that we have, the life that we have. And we're so scared that it's going to get weird and it's going to get awkward. And Jesus, I know that there are people at our work that are looking to us to find you. And so I pray that you'd even give us ways and opportunities this week to say, you can follow me as I follow Jesus. And our family, boy, that can be a hard one. I thank you, God, for the people I meet here at this church who introduced me to their parents, and they're actually bringing their parents to church. God, I thank you for that, to say, hey, Mom and Dad, you can follow me as I follow Jesus. You can follow me to a husband, to a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I know we don't have it all figured out, but you can follow me as I follow follow Jesus. Would you bring to our heart and our minds 
names that you've brought into our lives so that we can say to them what you've said to us. You can follow me. You can follow me. Jesus, we do everything we can right now through word, through song, through gifts. We want to put you at the center of it all. We acknowledge that that is who you are and where you're at. And so we align our lives around you now. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.